0: Black Cats Run Podcast. I'm Tristan Black-Ingersoll, and this is Black Cats Run. Today's episode, The Blueprints. We're going to introduce something a little bit different, where we're going to start a sub-series of podcast episodes we focus on specific kind of mechanistic questions around particular theories or interpretations of training, patterns of design, architectural endeavors of training, or blueprints. Today's episode, trying to build lactate curves for athletes. And does that actually make sense? We challenge this by asking the question is lactate actually the body's preferred source of energy. Let's get into today's episode. Black Ingersoll. This is Black Cat's Run. The blueprints. The blueprints, I want to try to take out some of these specific ideas of the kind of mechanical, physiological, um, focused arguments or conceits about how we sort of rationalize and interpret training. Because I think there's a lot that goes on in the milieu of um, training-slash-physiology-slash-coaching-slash-athlete interpretation that is rationalized based off of a understanding of how these mechanisms work rather than looking at it in terms of, in practice, if you do X, what seems to be Y outcome with the athlete, so if that works, that must Be good. And then we should be focusing on that. But in point of fact, I think that what we maybe are finding is happening is that people are taking a concept of um, what they think must be true um, on a systems level, a body systems level, i.e., physiological level, and then are applying that forward to then design what they're going to do and so this sort of archi- this is like a different kind of architectural approach and so with this series which you know I'll engage with as things come to mind or as people ask questions that point towards this kind of a uh, using this kind of a lens or a perspective I want to take some of these um, architectural concepts that have emerged and then specifically look at them and examine and say does this, structure have integrity? Would you actually want to build your athletic house out of this, so to speak? Something that you can find um, a lot of very quickly if you start looking into lactate, and instead of just trying to understand, you know, a basic definition of, say, lactate threshold, or what is lactate, or for a lot of people, it's really what is lactic acid, because that's still the common, I think, probably the more common understanding Uh, One of the people you can find is this uh, professor, I think, and swim coach, uh, Jan Olbrecht, I think is how you say his name, and he's somebody who's been closely associated um, with using lactate threshold um, and lactate testing as a concept for training. And there's this website uh, called lactate.com, which if you look up lactate, you're probably going to find yourself at this website pretty quickly, and it offers a bunch bunch of information, Um, or at least it, you know, it was, it's certainly offering information, whether or not this information is useful or helpful is maybe a different issue, but it offers a bunch of information on lactate and makes claims and assertions about how lactate should or shouldn't be used. And one of the references is to this, um, Jan Ulbricht swim coaching strategy, and they have this moving diagram on there, which shows the six levels of Anaerobic capacity and these six levels of uh, VO2 max capacity, and it sort of animates through each of these combinations. Um, I think from like the you know lowest performing to the highest performing instance. And I guess what we're and then it talks later about how to improve um, swimming performance because eighty percent of this races in um, collegiate and Olympic swimming are. Two hundred meters or less in distance, that it's important to um, develop the anaerobic capacity. And what's interesting about this, and you know, I freely acknowledge um, as I try to on a regular basis, or at least I hope I do a good job acknowledging this. And if not, I'll do a better job in the future. But I don't—I'm I'm not claiming to be the ultimate authority. I'm sharing my thinking, and I'm trying to provide. Uh, the evidence and references as to how I've reached these conclusions. And, you know, I'm arguing from my point of view because I, this, I feel the evidence supports it. Um, You know, so it's always possible that there are things that I'm maybe not processing correctly or not understanding. But when I'm, and this, maybe this is one of these instances, um, but what it looks like to me is there seems to be kind of like an obvious mistake Um, At least when I look at the diagram that they have, it doesn't seem to support this. And if you go to lactate.com and you take a look at this, uh, you can fiddle around with this for yourself and see what you think. But if you look at it at um, their VLA max, which they say is anaerobic capacity at level one, and VO2 max, which they say is aerobic capacity at level one, um, then you have a lactate curve, um, where there is like no real like baseline in this model it just sort of starts going up and between like um, a swimming speed of I don't know what the units are maybe it's arbitrary units but at a speed of 1 um, the lactate is 2 and then at a speed of like 1.26 um, the lactate is like 12 and then as you you can go to level 6 and level 6 and this shows that um, at those same millimoles of two to twelve, speed goes from four, I sorry, 1.4 to almost 1.7. Okay, so it looks faster. And there's these, you know, iconography of these people doing a tug of war um, with a rope, which I guess is suggesting this inherent tension and in this this back and forth. And one of the things that becomes clear is you look further in the website, and then if you go branch out, obviously outside of the website, you can try to look up stuff. Related to this sort of paradigm um, is this idea that you're either that if you work in one category, you know, if you work on the aerobic capacity, it negatively affects the anaerobic capacity, that there's this tension between the VLA max and the VO2 max, right? So level six and level six is better than level one and level one in both categories. And then they say, well, this thing about shifting it to the left. So then um, if you look at level six with VLA max, and uh, you have aerobic capacity at one, um, that seems to be really slow, right? Which I suppose, okay, right? If your VO2 max is bad and uh, you're right or really what they're modeling as aerobic capacity is bad and saying that's VO2 max, like in principle, if your ability to do exercise aerobically is bad, um, then your ability to... You know, perform with speed regardless of your anaerobic capacity is also apparently going to be bad. And what's weird though is to me, and this is where I wonder if there's just something I'm not understanding here. um, But when you have the VO2 max at six and then you have the least development in the anaerobic capacity, that's the model that shows the greatest speed. And the the difference is is that the uh, lactate range is small. It goes from like 1.65 to like uh, in swimming speed. Between 1.65 and 1.75, the lactate is going from like 2 to like maybe 4.7 or uh, 5 millimoles. And like that's it. So it's really small. So that's the thing that stands out um, as the most immediately visually different. But my question would be, okay, based on this, why should we care that you're not able to accumulate as much lactate? Like the purpose of this stuff is to go faster. And that's where when I was saying uh, to start that I think looking at this stuff and asking the question what training practices correlate to what effect on speed or velocity is what matters. And really if the velocity is greater, um, what does it matter what the lactate curve looks like? But I think there's a lot going on Um, and it certainly seems to be true in triathlon and maybe that's in particularly true because of trying to find this way to think about uh, or I don't think you need to do this to achieve this. But I think people seem to be finding it difficult to maybe think about how to um, have a concept of fitness that crosswalks between multiple endurance sports. Um, I don't think that's really an issue per se. Um, And I can maybe we can do an episode um, later where, you know, we talk about the right way to crosswalk between that stuff. But that would be getting outside of the the bounds of this blueprints episode. Um, But if we look at this concept of, you know, needing more lactate, I think there are triathletes right now who are trying to train to create these lactate profiles, these lactate curves. You know, in the belief that that is, that they see, okay, these athletes who are the best in these distance duration triathlon events have these lactate curves. Are based on our intelligence gathering, they have these lactate curves. So let's just work to create that lactate curve. And now I'm going to throw something in here that is totally baseless speculation, but it's more just you know something to be food for thought than a, a claim of actual truth. I think that. Uh, The Norwegian guys, Christian and Gustav, have sort of not really impressed um, people, you know, in terms of based on what they did last year with the Ironman, the long distance, to then what they've done this year. And obviously, there's extenuating circumstances for athletes, and I have I'm not really interested in like judging athletes as performers out of a sense of like, why can't they perform, but just more out of a sense of curiosity, right? That anybody who does this stuff from amateur to paid professional um, is a data point and represents, gives us a potential perspective into experience. I think what they're doing is they're doing this idea of let's try to create these lactate curves. And I think they had success using the lactate as a benchmark for long-distance triathlon, because for that, it it kind of works. You know, I mean, that kind of works. It, it is what works because you're literally benchmarking fitness when you look at lactate threshold the correct way. Grant you a lot of people don't, this LT2 and LT1 distinction, and then, like, you're shifting that in a constructive direction. But then if you try to take lactate and try to apply it in this other perspective, other way, and let's create this lactate curve. Now, all of a sudden, it's like they're just middle of the pack. And they had put some stuff out in the winter that had said that you know nobody has ever gone back from long distance to short distance. And I was kind of like thinking, like I really don't get that why that would be an issue. And again, right, you know maybe there's things that I'm I'm not conversant in or, or don't understand. But I'm you know trying. I'm asking the questions that I think are the questions to be asking to be asking. And I don't, and I just don't agree with that interpretation. And I think that it has to do probably with process, with this. I, I mean, the idea that you can't go back, so to speak, to shorter distance and have success after going a long distance suggests that something has fundamentally changed. And I think it feeds into this, um, you know, this like design principle that slow twitch muscles are slow, and that you can't do well in these shorter distances. But some of these shorter distance races you know, are of a time duration that if you were in a different sport like running, um, where runners would consider that to be very long distance and very slow and very slow, slow twitch. So you have these people and there's like, and it's not just like a, um, a endurance subdomain issue because there's literally running, of course, in triathlon. So how do you square that circle that um, one sport, Culture would look at that duration and say, wow, those people are are this are the slow pokes. You know, those people are all slow twitch. And then this other sport is saying is freaking out about, you know, this so-called um, you know, anaerobic capacity or this VLA max or VO2 max training. And I I believe that um if I had to put a bet on it, um, I would put a bet on that 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 is what has happened. And I think if they just kept doing what they were doing and then, you know, applied a, you know, choreography perspective to speed instead of a um, physiological perspective to speed, I think that they would have um, been having a continuity with their level of success. But I don't know, right? I'm not party to that. That's just sort of speculation. But I think this sort of frames why this is kind of an interesting or significant question to think about. And, you know, from lactate.com, uh, you know, read this uh Quote this off here. Uh, What causes an athlete to stop when he and you know, or she or they, uh, exercises for an extended time above the MLSS maximum lactate steady state is not entirely known. But whatever it is, correlates nearly perfectly with the accumulation of lactate in the muscle. The most likely reason is that when lactate is produced, hydrogen ions are also produced, and these hydrogen ions cause the muscle to become much more acidic, and this then inhibits contraction. So I'm not really convinced by the hydrogen ion stuff, and one of the reasons is because I don't understand um, what mechanistically is supposed to be significant about that. And maybe it's true, and maybe at some point I'm going to encounter an, under- an understanding of it that's going to you know peel back um the sort of fog on that and it's going to make sense to me. But I think that this concept of how we look at um, lactate is causing us to then view this stuff in different ways. I still think there's this sort of this concept that lactate is kind of like this, you know, people talk about it as being a byproduct. People talk about clearing it. People talk about tolerating it. And I think all of those things, I think the way we think about lactate is the problem. And, you know, I think it's, you know, at one point, you know, people thought that um, the sun revolved around the earth. You know, so just because we're seeing things that are being presented as like the understanding, if you look at them and they're sort of like foggy and unclear, then we need to ask questions about it. And even if those questions or the, you know, hypotheses that we propose to those questions aren't wrong, are I mean, sorry, are wrong, then I think it still allows us to ultimately kind of make a better interpretation of what it is exactly we're trying to get at. And by asking those questions, we move that forward. So I think if we want to ask um, a question here, I think the better question to ask is to ask, what is lactate? Right. What can we really know specifically about lactate and how can we use a paradigm of what lactate is to shape our understanding of this stuff versus just sort of sticking with this assumption that lactate is kind of this inherent like thing that's like not really useful but it's like now okay maybe it's not bad and people are saying well your body can actually use lactate for energy but it's sort of like presented as if it's a surprise that the body would do that and weird. And like people say that and then they continue to talk about like clearing it and getting rid of it. And so then this idea of like this, um, you know, trade off occurs. And I think that even though people are giving lip service to lactate being energy, I don't think they're actually applying that understanding um, forward to try to then interpret everything to fit with that. So you know, I think a part of this reason is because the paradigm is still continues to be. So people can say lactate is energy, but as long as this their paradigm continues to be that high intensity performance is predicated on the body's ability to burn glycogen, um, that it's a glucose or a carbohydrate facilitated thing, I think people aren't going to be able to understand lactate correctly, and they're looking at lactate levels as a proxy for how well the body is burning glucose and carbohydrate because they're assuming that in order to go at higher intensity that you need to be able to burn lots of carbohydrate and that if you can't accumulate a lot of lactate in the blood then you aren't burning a lot of carbohydrate, okay? Um, and I think there's other reasons why that, that doesn't make sense that um, we'll get into. But one of them is that it's been shown that you don't need carbohydrates for high-intensity exercise. And uh, Tim Noakes has demonstrated this to be true. And you can find all kinds of um, podcasts. I mean, and I've got a couple um, quotes here that I'm going to share to articulate this from a podcast, Josh Clement, um, that uh, Tim Noakes did with Josh Clement and uh, you know, Tim Noakes says, our bodies run on two basic fuel types carbohydrates and fats. And newer research shows that the body can adapt from a reliance on carbohydrates to a reliance on fat at all exercise intensities. Previously, researchers had, researchers had thought that above a certain threshold of exercise effort, the body had to run on carbs. But the research shows that's not true. Okay. So, um, you know, that's one issue, right? So, like, even if people say lactate's energy, they still believe um, that the value of lactate is to determine this carbohydrate process. And I think, like, you know, the notion of what is high-intensity exercise itself is also kind of skewed. And that's what I said with that, like, different um, endurance sports domains are going to look at different time duration race events. And some of them view them apparently as high-intensity and others view them as low intensity i also think um it's the case that people assume that endurance so-called endurance intensity or aerobic intensity what i on this podcast and black cats i you know try to refer to more as stamina because i think that's more specifically true to what we're talking about that that intensity is just sort of not is just so incredibly low that you know you have to go to something like an Ironman duration race for it to be relevant, and that like anything shorter than that apparently is requires this sort of high intensity paradigm. And then Tim Noakes goes on to say, and again uh, citing from this same podcast um, interview with uh, Josh Clement, uh, the only reason you burn glucose is to regulate your blood glucose concentration. That's why you burn glucose. What happens in the body is that the muscles respond and they've got lots of glucose, they will burn glucose. They have to. The only way you can stop that is by not eating carbs. Then your muscles are full of fat and very little carbohydrate, and then you will burn fat. And something which I didn't really catch on to until two years ago, we studied an athlete who was a low-carb athlete, but he was a really good athlete. And so that he could cycle at a very high rate from the moment he cycled, We had him do a 100-kilometer time trial. And from the incident he got on the bike, he was burning 1.7 grams of fat per minute, which normally, as you know, if your carbohydrate adapted, you would never get anywhere near. So again, right, there's, you know, example of research that's demonstrating that you can literally produce this amount of energy by burning fat, right? And that, you know, he goes on to say... and. Um, that really originally were meant to be fat adapted, but that our food culture um, has created carbohydrate adaptation and that that correlates to the rise in obesity. And you look at the introduction of um, you know food pyramid stuff in the late 1970s in the United States as an example of this. And that was Driven by and you know Tim Noakes makes this point in other places that you know that's certainly an example of policy that was driven by uh, industrial lobbying in this case uh, industrial agriculture. So let's think about this. Let's do this as a thought experiment. Um, let's pretend that lactate is a preferred source of energy. Okay. Let's say that lactate isn't isn't just as we know it's not a poison or something. It's not um, an acid. Okay. Let's let's say lactate is a preferred source of energy. And this might be tricky because we see that as exercise intensity reaches maximum, that there's more and more lactate accumulating, right? So that can be difficult for people to try to rationalize with this, right? Lactate's a preferred source of energy, right? But it's a byproduct. But what if it's not, right? Lactate is used by the brain, right? It has to be pretty valuable if it can be used to power the brain, right? The brain is a very complicated, high-energy demanding um, organ, so we think about this. Let's use the metaphor of a train, right, as a system, right? Um, you know, with a train, if you want to create A, variable A velocity, that's going to require variable B watts. And then variable B watts are going to require variable C energy, right? And that's sort of the relationship, right? And so as an athlete, right, you're wanting to create velocity, and that requires watts. Um, Whether you use a tool to measure watts or not, like you can essentially think conceptually that you're performing work. And, you know, watts is a nice way to think about work across a variety of different um, sports athletic disciplines. And in this model, right, if you have the coal car, right, let's use an old school steam engine. If you have a coal car, right, that's sort of the coal in that car, that's that potential energy. And then the engineer is going to make the energy available, and that energy is going to go into the furnace. And then the furnace is going to convert that uh, coal into watts, because it's going to then go to the boiler, and that heat is going to, um, you know, boil and create that the water create get the steam engine. To run Right. And so then that boiler converts it into velocity. So we have these kind of like different steps um, in this chain. Right. And we think about it. And then that ultimately moves, um, you know, this locomotive down the track. And so, right, what's happening right here is that we need to ask ourselves, what is the limiter? Okay. What step in this process is limiting the ability of the train to go faster? Is it the amount of coal in the car? Is it the shoveling of the coal? Is it the furnace? Um, Is it the boiler? Um, Where are things, you know, limiting? Because ultimately what you can only really, uh, it's the body, right? You're looking externally at an athlete, you're seeing the velocity, right? But if it's a train, it would be maybe a little bit easier to conceptualize what's going on. And if we look at this flow of um, velocity production, like you can apply, you have to apply coal to the furnace, and then the furnace has to apply that cola's energy, right? Convert that into heat, right? So in the way that the body might take pyruvate, right, and put it into um, metabolic cycle and turn that into ATP, right? So ATP is that heat that is powering, um, would we, you know, the equivalent of the furnace generating heat, right? Converting energy into heat. Heat is energy. In this model, I think the furnace is the limiter. Okay. So the furnace is the choke point. Okay. It's a bottleneck. You can shovel as much coal at the furnace point as you want, but the furnace is a has a finite capacity to take in potential energy. So you can have a ton of potential energy available, and you can have an engineer like enthusiastically, like if you say to the engineer, like, okay, we want to go X miles an hour or X kilometers an hour, right? And the engineer can start shoveling coal to match the rate for that. And you could calculate based on the um, you know, mass of the train and, you know, whatever other variables. But you know, basically you'd say, well, how how much energy do we need to produce? And then you could then determine how much coal do you need to be shoveling um, into the furnace, you know, every 30 seconds and, you know, for that to then create that energy. Okay, you could you know, probably figure that out somehow. And so in theory, right, you could do that with the body, right? But so the, the furnace, right, can only accommodate so much coal, right? So after a certain point, if you want to produce more energy, right, you have to get around that bottleneck. So then if we take this idea and let's say, well, let's apply that to an athlete and we think about lactate as energy. And if we think about, you know, these lactate curves and these lactate graphs, right, they really just show the lactate, right? That it's steady and then there's a turn point and then it starts to increase. But if we use this sort of train lactate as preferred energy model, what could we sort of layer on and imagine might be behind this? Okay. Well, so as intensity increases, it's logically the body has to be increasing, you know, what is being the energy that's available, right? The coal that is being shoveled into the furnace. So then what's the furnace in this model? Well, the furnace must be the mitochondria, right? So let's say you have an athlete who gets up to like uh, 225 watts and they're at 0.8 millimole, and then um, we'll just show, we'll just think about it as linear, right? And so then they start increasing and tends to go up to 1.8, 2.8, 3.8, 4.8, 5.8, every 25 watts. Now, we know that it tends to be um, it's a nonlinear relationship, but for the... Purpose of thinking through this? um, Let's just pretend it's linear. So, if that's the case, right, and you've reached maximum mitochondrial capacity, does it make sense to say or to imagine that um, what the reason why this has happened is because the body continues to also produce energy at a linear rate, that it keeps shoveling coal at the furnace at a linear rate? but the furnace is now doing as much as it can, right? And now the body is more complicated than a train, um, and the body has the ability to have some sort of elasticity of energy production where the body seems to be able to go a little bit beyond that point, right? And can generate work past that point. Um, But in essence, right, we're seeing an accumulation of blood lactate or that the blood lactate concentration is increasing because you know the energy which has been increasing all the time now you have more of it than the mitochondria can take in and so then the energy goes continues to go up and so then as you increase intensity there's more and more and more excess energy just sort of sitting there that can't be utilized and is the body producing lactate and glycolysis because lactate is a preferred form of energy okay and so then a fitness improvement right And this is why this we see this as a fitness improvement if this athlete improved their threshold to 350 watts you know and if we have um lactate accumulating um Again, in that linear way, which relates to the energy accumulating from one to two to three to four to five, you know, available energy, whatever units. Um, Then the point is to go from 225 to 350, the furnace has to get bigger. And that means you have to have more mitochondria, right? And then after 350 watts, that's when you're going to get to the point where you could furnaces reach capacity, right? The bottleneck. Right. You have now reached that point of critical um, energy intake and the bottleneck effect occurs. Right. And then so the energy is still get, being made available, but you can't take advantage of it anymore in the furnace. And so then this stuff isn't firing properly. So then when we look at um, and this is an example, somebody uh, listener to the podcast sent this to me. Uh, and thank you. I thought it was really interesting and intriguing to look at. And um, it sent me, uh, I, I can't remember the guy's name who does the YouTube off the top of my head, but he sent a, and we'll we'll put this on, we'll put this talk, this podcast on YouTube with some visuals. So if you want to see some of the stuff, you can take a look at that later. Um, but if you, he sent this model and in the model of this coach, triathlon coach, um, he gives some guidance about uh, lactate threshold, and he shows this flat lactate rate, then he shows this initial, you know, increase um, past uh, lactate threshold one, and then he shows this steeper increase occurring at lactate threshold two. And he says, uh, like, that zone two um, doesn't happen until after lactate threshold, and then he's recommending that people target this training intensity that's a little bit less than lactate uh, threshold two. And when you look at this, and if you, the point of the furnace here is the point that he's defining as zone two, so what I'm saying, in Black Cats is that um, my my conceit is that you really don't want to move past that furnace point. Like the bottleneck is the issue here. Right, and that trying to train over the bottleneck is going to be about as effective as just shoveling more and more coal into the furnace. Um, if anything, maybe you're going to have an adverse effect, and you're going to smother um, the ability to to produce velocity. And it's interesting to think that there might be some metaphorical uh, validity to that, because I think a lot of athletes don't progress. Um, they don't show real fitness progression beyond like an initial response to just generic generalized training stress and a lot of athletes too by the way follow this pattern of you know I train I detrain I train and I detrain and you know that breakdown is uh, in training I think is partly because the training they're doing sucks and why would you want to keep doing it but if we look at this guy's um, model from a polarized model and I've said how um, on the on coaching podcast with John Marcus and Steve Magnus which I, I genuinely enjoy listening to and find very interesting, but how there was one occasion uh, where uh, John Marcus had had said, and maybe he misspoke, I don't know, but he uh, was articulated that in polarized training, anything in polarized zone one in the green zone um, is active recovery. So you start to see that there's these huge issues with this kind of um, interpretations of how this stuff should be going on. And obviously they can't all be true. Right? That would that just doesn't make sense, you know, physiologically for all of these interpretations to be true. So when people say, well, you know, different things work for different people, I mean, there's that's not like a technically invalid statement, but that's really meant to imply that like you know, usually like I experience that where I might, you know, share an idea or perspective with somebody and they're kind of like, Yeah, I don't want to think about that. And so then, you know, rather than say, Oh, I don't do sports to use my brain. Um, They just say, "Well, different things work for different people," um, which is a pretty like uh, anti-thinking sentiment in general. But if you take the polarized model and you lay it on top of this guy's model, um, the zone one where like Steven Siler is is saying you got to spend at least eighty percent, right? And then there's that example of the dominant. Women's Nordic skier who spent most successful period, she was spending ninety three percent of her effort in this time, right? Um, so by this guy's articulation of five zones, that's she was just training ninety three percent of the time in zone in zone one. But people are getting these recommendations to train way way harder than that, um, and then he's also recommending that people train right in the middle of um, polarized training of of zone two. Right, polarized has three zones, which is according to polarized the least effective zone. And then if we look at this from Black Cat's run model, um, where I'm saying that there's really no zones, there's just like this distinction. And you know, in this blueprints episode, I'm trying to suggest that this pivots around um, that bottleneck point. That I, you know, think that basically the productive training is done um, in the zones that um, this guy's model is saying is like a no-go. And I I just don't think that the data supports the claim that you should train at these higher intensities. And I also think that when we look at it from the perspective of lactate as energy, um, what's the point? You're just training past the capacity. All you're doing is you're just exhibiting distress only because you can't take advantage of the energy that's available. And I don't see why that would be an effective training strategy. So if we think about the furnace as a limiter, um, we know the body is a little bit more uh, complicated than that. And people think of this idea as then um, glycolytic power, as this like additional system, right? And that it's maybe like um, this sort of like narrower focus that sort of goes into, that also goes into the boiler. But a different way to think about this is to say the glycolytic thing is like the second system that sort of be a train that like had like a secondary alternative um, uh, energy driver for the boiler, right? Some sort of alternative furnace or cylinder, but it does, but it would work with like exponential inefficiency. And that would sort of fit what we see with lactate is that the more you kind of put in glycolytically, it's like the higher percentage of that input you lose And so that forces you to put more and more in and you lose more and more. And so that's like the secondary system is permeable. It'd be like if you started shoveling coal into this additional furnace, but the furnace um, lost, you know, coal was falling out of it. Um, If you ever uh, heated a house or been in a house with a a wood stove, um, you know, certainly in New England, you know, wood stoves are common. And with wood stoves, Well, what you're able to do is by you're able to efficiently heat a space. But if you have an open fireplace, um, you're basically losing a ton of that energy. So it's sort of like be the difference between a wood stove and an open fire. Right. So, yes, you have this additional system, but it's like a very inefficient system. So but people have but that's not what people think. They look at it and say, well, like, that's the cool system. Like that's that's the cool kids club. Like, oh, they're fast because there's they can be glycolytic and stuff like that. But I I don't think that that's true, right? And again, if we look at it as lactate as preferred energy, then why would you want to use the glycolytic system? Um, You look at the Berlin Marathon, right? Uh, Women's Marathon world record, five minutes per mile. That's not being done with these glycolytic systems, okay? So that's running five minutes per mile, and if you're doing that for a marathon, that's got to be very low towards your lactate threshold, right? And that's got to be done using a lot of uh, slow-twitch, highly efficient muscles and muscle fibers. And there's this claim that the, the low, that's slow. Okay, so explain to me how five-minute pace is slow. Five-minute pace is five-minute pace. And so you can also be a high school runner and struggle to run five minutes in the mile and have probably absolutely incredible glycolytic power, super high Power as you're dying like a pig, coming down the last hundred meters to run your you know another five o three in your um, ongoing quest, you know to to smash that five minute mile barrier. Okay, so how is that five minute mile more powerful? And so when these endurance athletes and like for example the triathletes, when triathletes are trying to increase their glycolytic power, increase their VLA max. Like you're literally investing in a highly inefficient system where you're just literally dumping, right, available lactate into this, like, it's just sitting there in the abyss. And so it's like if you have these two furnaces, right, and the body is a system where instead of being stuck with the furnaces this side, let me weld this additional... Heating unit to the side of the boiler, and maybe it will give a little bit extra uh, steam pressure to the through the boiler. Like the body, you can just literally take that primary furnace and make it bigger. You can expand that. And so, if we like compare to athletes, like this is where I, you know, in particular, struggle to see how this glycolytic power concept makes any sense. Um, and I and I would caveat here i guess that i think one of the reasons why it doesn't make sense is maybe because it's a bunch of crap and when you have stuff that's really confusing um for some reason in uh, the sports industry especially in the sports service industry uh, people are like oh i don't get that that's probably like really cool awesome special training (laughs) and because you don't understand what's going on it seems like poor people are more inclined to assume that like this is like this special awesome stuff because i don't get it so it like must be really cool um So if we, like, think about two different athletes and uh, we have both of them, let's say their lactate threshold is 275 watts, okay? And, you know, but one of these athletes then, you know, is becoming super glycolytic after that point or something, right? And they are just, like, for every additional 10 watts, they are just ramping up that uh, lactate accumulation, and then for the other athlete, you know, let's say that they're, you know, not. Let's say that, so let's say these athletes go from 275 to 350 watts. And let's say the like very glycolytic athlete. At 350 watts, they're doing, let's pick something ridiculous. Let's say they're doing 38 millimoles, okay? And let's say the, uh, the, the slow twitch athlete, the athlete who doesn't accumulate a lot of lactate, let's say they're doing uh, like 3 millimoles, is one of those athletes better? I would say no. Uh, if if I was going to pick, I would probably say that the athlete um, who is only having, who is only accumulating three millimoles at three hundred and fifty watts, is better. Okay, um, like it's like if your your velocity is your velocity, if you're generating the watts, you're generating the watts. Like you can't produce three hundred and fifty watts without it being 350 watts like the watts are the watts and the velocity is the velocity okay and so if you're producing it you want to produce it in the most efficient way the only way you're accumulating a ton of lactate is if it's you know if you're doing something that's not efficient right if you just have all this energy sitting around you know but i and, I, and then some people say well bought, like the lionel sanders stuff has been uh i haven't been exactly keeping like total tabs on that. But there's some stuff in the winter, I think, that was saying, um, you know, like, well, my body can't produce enough lactate. And he was like showing how he's doing these workouts and was trying to like, you know, go hard and be like, oh, that's great. I've got a lot of lactate. That's good. My body sucks at producing energy or something. And it's like actually the fact that your lactate is accumulating means your body's great at producing energy. And the fact that it's accumulating means your body is bad at using energy because the bottleneck isn't the production of energy, okay? The bottleneck is the furnace. The bottleneck is, the, is that ability to metabolize it. And if you think of lactate as a preferred energy, okay, if you see it accumulate, that is really telling you you're not using that energy. And so when you look at these athletes and you think about energy waste, the athlete who's going all the way up to this you know fantastical uh, you know 38 39 millimoles of lactate that's a huge amount of energy waste that's a huge amount of coal that's just falling off the train onto the side of the of the train tracks okay whereas the athlete who um, keeps those millimoles down after threshold they have a very tiny amount of energy waste that's more efficient. You would never design a train or some other other system um, to function in such a way that it dumps as much energy as possible. Okay, um, and you wouldn't look at that and be like, "Well, this system's really great. Look at all the energy! Look at all the energy that it throws out of the side of the machine." Um, When you need it to perform at peak capacity, look at this is great, it dumps all this energy. And then it starts to struggle and fail and and fall apart. And when I've done step tests on the bicycle, what I have found is that when I get past threshold, I am able to do more steps if my lactate stays low with each additional step. (laughs) Not because... Oh wow, look at I've got all of this lactate accumulating. I'm just like going really strong. And I'm gonna hit this really good peak power. And this varies like on the scale of like 10 days. Um, you know, and and probably less than that. You know, when I feel better, I accumulate less lactate. When I feel worse, I accumulate more lactate. And you can like tell, like, oh, this test isn't going well. And then you take a, take a sample, and oh the lactate's high. Shoot. Right? Bummer, you know, I got it, you know, and you can tell like you're not, it doesn't feel good. And so every time it's because the lactate is high, you know, and like you can feel that it's not like, oh, I'm feeling powerful or wow, I'm really going to hit a big level of peak exertion. Okay. I don't think that's what's happening at all. So if lactate is energy, then we are measuring how much energy we are using when we're testing our lactate. And we want to figure out, like, are we using our energy or are we not? And if we're exceeding our ability to use energy, we're literally operating in dysfunction. And if we know that we can train to expand that furnace to increase our ability to utilize lactate by training very close to, right, and, and trying to stay under that threshold, which is sometimes e- easier said than done, but trying to stay very close to, ideally under that threshold as much as possible, and that that is going to expand the system. Why would we Why would we be in a dis, Why would we need to be in a dis, dysfunctional state where we waste energy? And I maybe it's not a coincidence that when we um, waste a lot of energy, we get way more tired, and we're more likely to get injured. Because say hey, when you're wasting energy, you're inefficient, and an inefficient machine um, is more likely to have have problems. And here's an example of this in training. So you know my running lactate curve. You know, I've improved at one millimole from um, beginning of July at 300 watts to now at 350 watts um, in 10-minute in steps um, is the way I've done this test. And this graph is on uh, Black Cat's Run. If you want to check that out on our Instagram, you can see this. And right, so that's the shift, right, is it's trending in that direction to the right. And I think what that is basically means is that I am using more of my energy, right? I'm going faster because I'm using more of my energy. How can I use more of my energy? Because my furnace, my mitochondria, and whatever other components maybe are involved in that that are not identified or not understood, but by inference, like the furnace has expanded. And so now I'm not going faster because I'm producing more lactate. I'm going faster because I'm using more lactate because it fits with the idea that lactate is a preferred um, source of energy. So a training session I did on... Sunday, I wanted to do a longer run. I'd sort of been primarily focusing on, you know, working through these sessions and trying to figure out uh, threshold sessions and trying to figure out, you know, can I do these all the time um, and, and trying not to throw in other variables of physical activity stress, because then I wouldn't be able to tell what exactly was driving what. Um, and so for the two hour, this run took two hours and 26 minutes, so It ended up being about 19.6 miles. Um, and I did two loops of a, a road loop and I would have just done one big loop, but I was kind of, my legs were sore, um, from running my lactate test and then Caleb McVay's lactate test on the day before on Saturday. So that was like 14 miles of running in the morning. And, you know, with like, um, you know, maybe 20, 25 minutes of running over threshold. Um, And, you know, you get a little sore from that, right? Surprise, surprise. Um, You know, inefficiency, right, is, you know, leads to more adverse outcomes. So, right, and again, for frame of reference, my threshold value target is to try to be as close to one millimole as I can. And for my test, my lactate um, level is 350. Now, this varies. It's going to vary based on your level of, you know, fatigue and training stress. But for me, I've been practicing doing this by feel. So for this session, right, I did this loop. I really enjoy the loop. Um, I'm not stuck on a track. I'm not doing it in an environment I don't want to be in. So I'm just doing the run that I, you know, enjoy being able to do. And I did for 10 minutes. I jogged for 10 minutes. I sort of in this routine of 10 minutes, I feel is sufficient for me to start whatever set I'm doing. And I did three sets. And so they were as three sets were 800, 200. Um, And I would hesitate to call the 200 really a recovery because as you'll see, I didn't really drop the watts off that much. So for the first nine eight hundreds, I averaged 339 watts and my 200s were 319 watts. And right now I'm like 188 to 193 pounds. So, you know, if you're looking at these watts and you're like, wow, that's so many watts. Well, I mean, I would encourage you to <laughs> keep in mind that, you know, I'm pushing... Uh, you know, uh, I'm not pushing 140 pounds, and I'm certainly not pushing 115 pounds like Ellie Kipchoge, right? Um, you know, I'm five foot 11. Like I said, you know, plus or minus 190 pounds right now. Um, so that would be the context for these watts. But I did the so the 800s, the split times on these um, were anywhere from like 405 to 323 depending on the terrain and if you're a runner and you're training and you're doing it in a conventional well what are my splits i need to hit these splits mindset like that would be unacceptable basically it'd be totally unacceptable to have that variance they would all have to be at that intensity but using the stride pod i'm really liberated from that and it makes such a huge difference and um so i did 339 watts for the 800s and 319 watts for the 200s and i i I suckered a friend to into riding their bike with me and carrying their a lactate meter in their pocket, um, and then bringing some water and uh, with some drink mix in it because I didn't eat breakfast. And if at some point you're gonna get hungry, and I did, I was glad that I had those. Um, but you know, I tested the like other side. It was like 1.7 millimole. Okay, right. So a little over, but like you know what, I'm happy with that. You know, I'm feeling good. I can. I feel comfortable, and that's. Um, really like it, so I said, okay. So my goal is, I hopefully I can not accumulate across the sets. So then I jogged for five minutes at 308 watts, and I tested again because I want to see is it coming down, and it had, was down to 1.0 millimole. And so then I did another set, and the second set, the 800s were 344 watts, the 200s were 317 watts, and I was 1.7 millimole. I jogged for five minutes at 315 watts. Um, and, one, and this running is largely being done trying to focus on how do I feel so I'm not staring at my watch. So if you're looking, the watts are getting a little bit more. I think that speaks more to the way, um, you know, my brain feels like I need to progress um, for some reason. And that was, I think, something that was taught either explicitly or implicitly or both as a part of, you know, my formative running experiences where, you know, like finishing strong, crushing the last rep, you know, is a sign of competence and is going to make you faster. Um, and I'll explain in the last set how that was a problem for me. So 344 watts, 203.17, again, 1.7 millimole. Then I had five minutes, 315 watts, 1.3 millimole. You know, at the time I was like, oh, that's too bad. I didn't come down as much. But then after the fact, I'm like, okay, I did a little more watts. I also think that just the variation in terrain, you know, if unless it's dead flat, I think any change in terrain can lead to a instant engagement of a super lactate intensity when you're sort of trying to run close to lactate threshold, super lactate threshold intensity, I mean, excuse me. And, you know, like on that, you know, as I finished that, you know, recovery to test, I was sort of running up a slight incline, you know, and I think that that is one of the other phenomena that if you're going to train on variable terrain, uh, which I think is great. And I think it's more fun to just do this stuff, you know, in situ to do them like in the environment in which you enjoy training, and not to just be like, okay, well, to do this training, I have to go to the track all the time. And this kind of training is, Using these aerobic interval structures are dumb because they take the fun out of training and yeah well because first of all right because it's really fun to go and have to eviscerate yourself um, twice a week <laughs> you know I'm sure that's that's a ton of fun speaking from personal experience I've enjoyed that so much um, but you know it if you're going to train right on your on regular loops you got to keep this the variability in mind. And, you know, I think similarly, that's why, you know, it's hard to get down to the exact target millimole with these sets. Uh, But knowing in terms of feel what you're looking for, I think, becomes very important. And so then the last set, um, 9 by 800 again, right? 200 meter jog. I did the 800s and three forty six and the 200s and three hundred and twenty four. and I was going through this set, and a part of me is sort of thinking, like, oh, man, it would be really cool if I went a little bit faster and I was still at the same millimole. Um, and then a part of me is like, you know, because I'm thinking like, oh, my average pace for this has been such and such. What if it cuts down to such and such? And so you start to have these things in your head and you start benchmarking yourself. And, you know, I think I started running the first couple of these at 350, 351. Um, but Not like a big deal in and of itself, but, you know, this is in the last set right? The last, I've already done 18 of these, right? And I'm doing 27 in total. Um, you know, and I'm now getting to the two hour mark. Um, and I started to feel like, kind of like, uh, started to do that thing where I was like counting down the reps. And I hadn't been thinking at all about them. Like, this is, this is great. I feel awesome. I'm not concerned about the reps. I'm just sort of flowing through this. And then I got through, you know, to the last 3 I got through 6 of that last set and I said to my friend um okay I'm having this that problem again where like I can't keep my watts down even though it's making me uncomfortable I'm still like struggling so I'm, I'm really going to focus and trying to keep it more towards 340 and so just pulling it back that you know 8 watts or whatever right because you're on that margin that made made a big difference and I started feeling better. And like it was literally almost like I felt like I was starting to get over a little bit overheated. You know, it's almost like oh, the furnace was burning a little too hot. Um but I I was able to sort of cool back down and then I was able to, you know, come in at 1.7 millimoles. But that distinction, right, in the past, I would have just like fed right into that and been like, I'm going to progress. I'm going to run harder. This is awesome. But you know, this mindset shift allowed me to pull back. Because all I'm trying to do is I'm just trying to stress the energy system, okay. That's it. And going and I, you know, and I also saying to to my friend when we were doing, I said, you know, it's it's so liberating to go from this concern that if you if only I could run faster, I would get better. Or what if I do this whole thing and I didn't run fast enough? To where now it's like, what if I run too fast, right? And it takes practice because then at the end, like that ingrained behavior of I'm going to start applying pressure starts to Resurface, it starts to rear its ugly head. Um, and so, you know, then I was at 1.7 millimoles after the last set. Um, and so I, you know, I was pretty, pretty happy with this. Um, you know, and then it remains to be seen, um, like if this will have sort of a, um, bump of an impact, but a part of what I was trying to do here was also like incorporate endurance and, I will say that you know the next day um, my quads were pretty sore, but I also had incorporated a loop with a serious downhill um, because I think if you're going to do long distance road racing, I think I, I feel that it's probably necessary to you know run downhill fast somewhat in training to avoid emulsifying your quadriceps, at least what appears to be a result of uh, of downhill right running. And uh, it was sort of like a, a calculated trade-off of like, okay, I got to go out and I got to get that in there to impact the the nervous system or whatever it is needs to regulate that or sort of anneal against condition against that effect. Um, but that could be like a really incomplete, limited understanding of how to avoid that kind of muscle muscle soreness. But it you know it is a trade-off. But then in the future, I want to see can I do runs like this where. Um, I'm not getting sore, you know, and certainly trying doing some the same session or something similar over that same course. And at at no point did it feel like I was basically, you know, doing a 19 and a half mile run. You know, the whole thing just went by very quickly, very easily. It felt great. Um, You know, felt like I was in the zone and I wasn't concerned about the variance in my splits, right? I wasn't concerned that some of these 800s were over four minutes and you know, well, some of them were under 323, but if you don't have an alternative perspective, or you don't have an alternative metric, um, you can do that. Um, and, you know, you could also just go out and, and do this more organically, right, without worrying about um, specific information. Um, you know, I don't really feel that I have to, and this might sound absurd to people listening, I don't, I don't personally think of myself as having a nerdy concept or a nerdy approach to um, training um, as in terms of being like obsessive with data but it's I've enjoyed you know having that as something to sort of think about and use it to sort of relate to these broader you know uh, hypotheses that you know we're discussing here on black cats run so I think some conclusions though that we can reach or that we can speculate might be true if it is in fact the case that Lactate is energy. I think um, VLA max is fake. I think MLSS is irrelevant. I think anaerobic threshold is fake. I think training over threshold uh, based on lactate as an effective paradigm is fake. And I think zone-based training is fake. And I think VLA max um, is fake because not because it's not possible to measure how much blood lactate concentration you can reach. But if you look at like the inside people, you know, which is whatever I, I N S Y C D whatever. I don't really care. I think their whole stuff is sort of dumb. Um, but if you look at that, like they'll you can look up on YouTube. They're like explain the VLA max. And at first they say, well, if you're doing really long distance, you want to be burning very few carbohydrates. Because then you're burning your fats for energy and okay, like I can kind of get on board with that. And then they're like, well, when you're getting to shorter events, then, you know, you can, you want to improve that and see that you're burning more carbohydrates. And it's like, no carb. First of all, carbs aren't needed for high intensity. Okay. And, but second of all, this is just bad reverse engineering. Okay. So like the issue isn't how long the event is. Okay. The issue is the intensity, all right? And then you want to make increase efficiency at intensity. And yes, by increasing efficiency at an intensity, it also seems to open up the ability to go to higher intensities above that point of efficiency, right? If we think of lactate threshold as the maximum intensity at which it is still possible to be efficient. But this idea that you're slower if you can't accumulate more lactate doesn't make any sense. Like, sprinters have higher blood lactate because they don't do uh, the training to do that, right? They don't do the training necessary to have lower blood lactate. There's an opportunity cost effect, you know, and slower, unathletic athletes are usually profiled and then pushed out of the sort of more socially desirable or celebrated, so called explosive sports. And so social norms create the archetype of the slower endurance athlete. And it's created this dichotomy that like people who can sprint don't have endurance and people who have endurance can't sprint. And that's just not true. Um, That's a total consequence of um, profiling by, you know, coaches who think they have insight into, you know, how to identify a talented athlete um, or not. But like, that's what's creating the slower endurance athlete to the extent that that's even true, not their not their lack of VLA max, okay? So the, what we're trying to describe here is you can't take these people who are fast over short distance and say, well, look, they have this high VLA max, and then say, ergo, if you have a high VLA max, you can be fast over that short distance. And you go back to that lactate.com diagram that is trying to like, validate this idea of this interplay and like all I'm seeing is that okay when you have more anaerobic capacity the athlete is slower and when they have more aerobic capacity the athlete is faster like I don't even see how their diagram supports their claim so maximum lactate steady state now why is this irrelevant now well because I think it doesn't prove anything other than athletes work over the lactate threshold in racing and in training and uh, as a result of choice um, if training as a result of choice so the velocity your watts at MLSS is an intensity which with training can eventually be done at or under a lactate threshold anyway. The woman who ran five minutes a mile for 26 miles, was she always able to do that? No. There was a point at which that was her maximum lactate study state. There was probably a point at which that was, you know, all she could run for a mile or two, you know there's maybe it was a point, you know, at some point in life where she couldn't run a mile in five minutes. is when she was a kid. Right. But at some point that wasn't true either. I don't know this athlete, you know, so I can't, I want to like make unreasonable assumptions, but using it as like a, something to point to, like, why would you train a maximum lactate steady state when you can just train at lactate threshold and take the intensity of this current lactate last maximum lactate steady state and just bring it into lactate threshold. Anaerobic threshold is fake. So after lactate threshold, the production of lactate accumulates following to the extent that it's exponential because when some people you graph it, it doesn't look to me very exponential, but um, I'm sure if they, maybe they're just not going deep enough into that. But if it's it's an exponential function is a nonlinear constant relationship. Okay, now I'm not um, a math savant, so maybe I'm not understanding something, but if an exponential function is a nonlinear constant relationship, then you can't point to some state on the the curve and be like, oh, the relationship between uh, lactate and the body is changing. Well, if it's a constant relationship, it's constant. Ergo, there's not something shifting. Now, is this because after lactate threshold, the body loses its efficiency and with increasing intensity has increasing energy losses? You know, like I suggested, as like this alternative, you know, furnace or the diff for a train or like difference between an open fire versus a wood stove. Um, right? Is it a less efficient system? And if you have compounding energy loss, right? Because if lactate is energy, accumulating lactate should be interpreted as energy loss, not as glycolytic power. It should that should be like bad. It should be like, you know, damn it, I need to get to the point where I can use that. Lactate for energy, and like that's what the lactate curve progression is showing. Like my lactate with my running is progress is showing that it's showing that I went from you know be doing three hundred and whatever forty six or three hundred and fifty watts at like five point eight millimoles in July to now doing that at one millimole. So my ability to to move at three hundred and fifty watts hasn't changed. What changed is my efficiency. I'm able to take advantage of that energy. So then we go to training over threshold based on lactate is fake, because there's nothing about lactate that suggests training over threshold is beneficial. Now, people do train at speeds and intensities over lactate, and they race fast times. So I'm I'm not saying that, you know, ubiquitously that there's no evidence to support those kinds of practices. But I think doing those based around lactate, you know, and especially this idea of, oh, we're going to train at these lactates and we're going to build these lactate curves and then we're going to be good at these short distance events blah 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 i don't think that there's really any validity to that um like the lactate nothing about the lactate suggests that's true all that's do- saying is oh yeah you're you bought are bottlenecked right and you're just jamming that up more and more you know is it an inefficiency right that's why we're getting tired, is because we're inefficient. And when a system is inefficient, it you know accelerates towards failure. And then I also think this means that zone based training is totally fake. Um, I think you can use it socially to sort of like describe you know some of the nuances of perceived exertion, but lactate as energy suggests there aren't zones. And there are people out there right now, literally right this second, engaging in conspiracies <laughs> to use lactate to determine what zone they're in. And they've got all five of their zones and they say, well, this is the lactate at each zone. You can't do that. I mean, you can, but it's not, I don't, it's not valid to do that. Like that's just total fantasy. Okay. Plus we know that energy systems don't turn it on and off with, you know, some sort of uh, rational utilization, right. Um, you know, over, under, of lactate threshold okay Um, like that's not how that happens like we're not at a fractional point of oh yeah you're you know this percentage over under lactate threshold and so that means you're in this energy system Um, these metabolic systems are all sort of doing their thing you know at the same time they're not you don't like switch from one to the other you know like you know jumping from one train to the next um, and, and so I think that means then zones, so here's a here's a truth bomb. I think zones are a model for overtraining, okay? I think zones are literally a model for overtraining. I think a lot of times we associate overtraining as this idea of like, you know, doing too much, you know? And like, well, if you just practice less, you won't overtrain. I think that um, it doesn't matter how much or little you practice. Zones are overtraining. I think the indicator of overtraining um, is... That you're not improving and you feel like crap, okay? I think that's what overtraining is. I don't think overtraining is training uh, too much. Um, I think that if you're seeing progress, you can't be overtraining. If you're not seeing progress, you're overtraining. Or I suppose you could be you could be undertraining, but um, it's pretty hard to confuse undertraining for overtraining. And like so, training to create a greater level of lactate accumulation is not the way to train. For shorter distances, than whatever your maximum distance and your endurance sport of choice is, you know, it's like come back to you again that like some people will look at ninety minutes as short in triathlon or cycling, but long distance in running, and then you know train totally differently, which makes literally no sense. Ninety minutes is ninety minutes. When we look at the body's ability to do, you know, quote unquote endurance disciplines, you know, you it doesn't make sense that. Some people in endurance sports look at 90 minutes and are like, oh, my God, what about my VLA max? And that people in other endurance sports are like, holy crap, that's such a long time, right? You know, a lot, most runners, you know, find the half marathon to be, you know, horrifyingly long in duration. And so, right, when we look at lactate as energy, right, I think we say that it doesn't matter how long, like the social construction of Short distance, middle distance, long distance within these different sports is not a basis on which we should try to make assumptions about what we should do. Like I say, I'm going to say this one more time this example because I think this is a critical way to think about this. Okay, that 2:11 women's marathon world record. Okay, that's probably done with low lactate. That's probably done with a lot of quote-unquote slow twitch muscles. How is that slow? five minute five minute mile is a five minute mile and a five minute mile done at threshold is a better more efficient mile than a five minute mile done glycolytically okay than a five minute mile done with you know big vla max numbers okay the goal of training is to recognize that we're trying to improve our ability to apply the energy that we already have there's plenty of coal on the cart. The engineer is perfectly capable of shoveling as much coal as we need, right? The boiler, right? The body has the ability to produce strength, right? And we've talked in the Speed Merchant episode about that. The bottleneck is the ability to take advantage of that. And accumulating lactate just shows that we're not energy efficient. So energy is proportional to demand. Fitness is a bottleneck issue. It's inefficient to maintain a massive amount of mitochondria or whatever else um, is doing the functioning as the furnace point in general, right? It's inefficient to do that as a norm, okay? So that's why we have the bottleneck at that point. Why would the body maintain all these mitochondria if there's no environmental utilization of them, right? You're, you're not There's no pressure in the environment to utilize them. That's why detraining happens. That's why you know, uh, people graduate high school and they immediately age from over five years, they, a lot of them age from the age of 18 to 85 <laughs> because they don't do anything. And if there's no, you know, use, the body isn't going to do it because that's, um, you know, a waste of energy and the body operates to, to save energy. It makes sense, evolutionarily speaking, that efficient, or- efficient, energy-efficient organisms are going to be the organisms that survive. But... Conversely, the body can also be efficient and will change rapidly given the right intensity. and you could probably find an equation that proves if you're training optimally if you reach x rate of development. okay? I think you could probably find an equation that proves if you're training optimally um, like if you're achieving x rate of development. So if you're improving by x number of watts, right there's probably like a uh, optimal or maximal, rate of acceleration of fitness. And I think if you're training at the right intensity, I mean, at minimum, it should be discernible. You should be able to see um, the improvement happening on the scale of at least month to month, um, maybe less, okay? Uh, maybe week to week, even. Um, I mean, that's been consistent with, with my experience making this adjustment, okay? To just saying, I'm gonna train lactate threshold basically as much as I can. Okay, and when you do that, right, you could in theory, somebody could go out and figure this out. Right. And then what you could do is you could take that equation and you could then evaluate athletes and you could basically say, okay, are we training as effectively as we can? Well, let's take this thing. Let's call it. um, Black cat's law, let's take black cat's law. And if black cat's law is correct, then you know you should be seeing such and such a uh ramp rate or like the trend line should have a an r squared of at least blank right so mine has been 0.8 so maybe black cat's law is an r squared of 0.8 and if you're less than 0.8 then that means that we need to ch- we need to look to change something in your training cuz it should be possible to be at 0.8 and that that's black cat's law and this is the blueprints thanks for listening to today's episode if you've enjoyed this episode of the blueprints and you have a request or an idea that you'd like us to explore on another blueprints episode you can check us out on at black cats run send us a message or if you just kept track of how many times we said the word lactate and you want to report back you could message us there too we'd love to hear from you thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time